What's up guys, I'm coming at you from Shenzhen as usual, but for a little bit of an unusual video. Um, as some of you know, I uh, have a, usually a, a strong opinion on certain subjects or I have a certain position, but I definitely wanna put that aside for this video. What I have for you today is an interview with a doctor from Wuhan. Well, he's not from Wuhan, he's from somewhere else, but he was part of the second wave of doctors that were sent over there. And Considering the situation that's being faced around the world now where a lot of people are worried about their own hospital systems uh, eventually or, or, or very soon becoming overloaded, we're going to hear from somebody who in Wuhan, of course, was dealing with that very situation where they were very overloaded at one point. And I want to talk to him a little bit about what they did on a day-to-day -day basis, what their processes were like. Uh, how they kept their spirits up. Perhaps he can offer some tips and tricks for medical professionals overseas. And perhaps for the ordinary person overseas, they can look at this as a light at the end of the tunnel, considering how many cases we had here in China and how uh, spectacular of a job they did bringing these numbers down. Now, one way or another, I hope you do find some value in this video. You'll have to bear with the quality. I am going to be um, using uh, video conferencing software and he's in Wuhan. I will use the local audio from my side. The audio on his side might be a little bit choppy. So bear with me and uh, let's dig right in. So hi, Dr. Robert, thank you so much for joining me. And um, I just wanted to kind of introduce what we're doing and, and to my audience and to you, why I'm so excited about this. Um, you know, as you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, finger pointing going around the world. And uh, the, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, you're, you're, you're a doctor who has experience there in Wuhan. And when it comes down to the end of the day, there's a lot of countries that are about to face um, uh, really hard times ahead. And you guys have experience with that. And when that time comes, they're not going to care about finger pointing anymore. Um, you know, and you guys have so much valuable experience and just to find out a little bit more about, um, just your, your experience on the ground. And of course, uh, what you're going to be saying is completely personal, um, opinion. It's not representative of any organization or anything. And so I really appreciate it. So th thank you very much for, for joining today. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Very happy I, to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, it's you, you guys are um, you guys are heroes in China, and I'm so glad that you're being uh, celebrated as heroes. I'm 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 so happy um, to be able to talk to you. It's really an honor. And I guess we should mention how we know each other. So we have a mutual friend, a Canadian friend, uh, Kirk. And um, yes. and then furthermore, I was so honored to find out that you actually follow my channel and you saw some of my videos before, which was just I was yeah. so. I was, I was so, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was so happy to hear that. So um, obviously, um, you guys must be, uh, you must be quite, is, are things winding down now and you're feeling a little bit more relaxed? You're feeling like you've really accomplished something big here and people are starting to be able to breathe more easily now? Yes, yes, I do. Um, the, the new cases that, that kind of has already been zero for three days here, um, they... Currently, we have some severe cases who has been um, ill, who has been in our hospital for like two, three weeks. And those are very elderly patients who's in their 90s, 80s, and they have a lot of complications and you know underlying diseases, like background diseases. So we are dealing with that. Those old patients, they don't have any relatives or family members around them. So that need a lot of time and because they're 
very old, so they recover very slow. So that's kind of our current um, uh, job. Yes. So do you do you have some other elderly patients in the past that did recover, and you do find that they just they really take a lot longer for their system to fight this, for their body to fight? Of course, this? of course. Of course. Um, uh, in, in my department, I think uh, at least ninety percent of them will eventually recover, and it's just it takes a long time, and uh, it takes very intensive care, um, both medication and you know and the uh, nurses nur nur uh, nurses care. Yes. So although there's a sigh of relief, although there's some, um, you know, there seems like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, obviously there are some patients that you're still very worried about and you still have to take care of and, and the fight really isn't over in that sense. Yes, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm wondering, so um, obviously when the numbers kept going up and up and up and we saw that big increase in numbers, especially when they changed the uh, testing metrics and everything like that and they started testing more people, was there ever a point where you guys, um, or, or some of you personally, you you almost wondered if there was any hope. Like, did you did you ever think, oh my God, maybe we're not going to be able to beat this? Did you ever did you ever feel like that, where you were kind of losing hope sometimes? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, actually, funny you mentioned that. Actually, about about you, we came here at uh, February thirteenth, right? So before that, the uh, the rumors and the you know this. Um, false information or kind of exaggerated information are circulating uh, in the website. Uh, actually, that's why, you know, the, the Western media is saying that uh, government is censoring the WeChat. It's actually not censoring because there's so many false information. It's saying that people are dying in the street and collapsing in the street. And, and you know, there's not even enough, uh, uh, how do you say, um, corpse bag to contain all the, all the dead people. So like a few days before we left our hometown to come to here, I kind of got very, very um, frustrated or worried about the situation. So I was talking to my wife, you know, still, I mean, especially when you have two kids that are, are in their very, the cutest age around you, and you kind of get very worried about the situation. So uh, I, I was talking to my, my wife, and she said that, uh, you know, worst case happened. You just you just you know stick to the uh, the rules that your the, your rescue team the medical team has set up for the team members. You just stick to every rules there, and you'll be fine. So yeah, I was kind of worried, but as long as I came here, that worry is gone because I saw the situation is everything is under control, and everybody's working, and nobody's panicking, especially all the supporting teams and doctors and and uh, the uh, government government officials the drivers and the personnel in the hotel personnel in the in hospital everybody is working and they're not panicking so so I kind of yeah relieved yes yeah yeah I guess so I guess so I mean even even I mean I think for ordinary people also I mean I can only imagine for you but here I've been staying in Shenzhen for the whole time and um, we have we have four young kids and my my father-in-law has um, pre-existing lung conditions. So we were really quite worried. And it's the same thing. You know, we uh, obviously I listen to Western media also. And I was continually being told the numbers are fake. The numbers are fake. And my um, sister-in-law, actually, um, she works in one of the provinces on the front line, taking care of the um, taking care of the quarantined uh, people, like going around, checking on them every day, making sure they have what they have. And I even reached out to her a number of times and I asked her, I said, what do you think about these numbers? I said, do you think they're real? 
And she says, yeah, she thinks they're real. They're not lying. But that was the time she says she feels like a lot of the suspected cases probably will turn into actual cases. And, and, and that, I think, uh, turned out to be true because that was before that we saw the big jump when they changed the metrics of how they were testing people. Yes. But, yes. I mean, I, yeah, I can only imagine for you um, guys on the front line. I mean, so was there anything um, that was done from the hospital or the government or amongst the staff to keep your spirits high? Like, how did you stay positive? Were there any specific things you did or you just had to really figure it out um, and keep yourself, keep yourself encouraged? Uh, nothing specific, but, uh, you know, right, even, uh, before we left my hometown, uh, actually we have enough information, enough, well, well, everybody's well informed, uh, because in the, in the TV channel, the government has already provided everything in detail, the, all the knowledge, all the tips, you know, all the, uh, information about the symptoms, about the syndromes, the uh, clinical um, presentations, you know, this they, everything is there. So you just watch the TV channel and watch the guidelines, and uh, everything is is there. Mm, especially after you came here, uh, you got everything you need, right? Right. And uh, we, got, we after we came here, it's like uh, so many medical teams has already been here. It's like we have like at least fifty to one hundred medical teams here. They, they, um, the numbers are range are varies from like a couple dozen to like 200 uh, for the, each medical team. So you, we have enough personnel and we have enough resources. Uh, then you don't, don't have anything to worry about it. It's just you have to arrange your working shift very, uh, how do you say, how very precisely. You have right. to uh, arrange the shift nicely so that you don't use up your energy and then if you have enough energy then you will not panic to um, yeah. worry anything so so now i'm wondering though because this is such a new thing and obviously the government has these guidelines um that uh came out and they say okay this is what you should do how is the communication process because i was i would imagine on the ground as doctors sometimes you would discover new things you would say oh you know what this is actually working well this way or maybe we should try this or you know what uh, uh, i noticed this was there a system in place where when you discovered things the information could pass through and you could work together to find the best solution as you went along or was it a little bit more, uh, there was certain people responsible for that and you just have to kind of um, follow that along? Or was there a system for yes. you to provide feedback? There, there's, uh, I'll tell you how, how it works. Uh, so we work in the hospital. Uh, for the junior uh, doctors, for the junior doctors like, like, like me, so in their 30s or in their 40s, these junior doctors, we work in a red zone uh, constantly. So you work bedside, you go in there, you check the symptoms, you check, you do the body exam, and you read all the blood test results, all the nuclear acid test results, and CT scan results, and you do the analysis. And every day we have a meeting with the senior doctors. The senior doctors, they spend some of their time in the red zone with the patient, but they spend some of their time doing, connecting all the critical information, valuable information. And they have their meeting daily, on daily basis, or the video meeting collectively, all the doctors, all the doctors, senior, doctor, senior docs from one hospital, they would do a video meeting every day. So they will share the valuable discoveries they find 
on the, on the on on this uh, situation on this um, uh, bedside uh, results, and they will do the analysis. If they find anything valuable, they will share it with all the hospital in Wuhan. So they have another video meeting like every two three days. So all this information from the bedside goes to collectively database uh, the whole citywide uh, database like every two three days. So once they find something, some trend or some discovery that applies to most of the patients, they will again report to the nation's health office and they will do, you know, deep analysis where they do the new drug uh, discovery, uh, things like that. So, so did you yes. see that from, for example, your first day um, that you were starting in Wuhan when you arrived in Wuhan um, from your hometown? Um, to the, the the most recent days, did you see the procedures evolve during that time? Like it's it, it, what you did one month later was different than what you did on the first day because of that system. Like you had certain things that were changing. Yeah, of course, of course. So <laughs> the funny thing is that this is a brand new virus, and we don't have any like known medicine that can treat this, can cure this. So every medication you use is actually a, a clinical trial. But it doesn't. You just don't have to sign the uh, the informed consent for every medication because some of the uh, traditional or conventional uh, antiviral medication you can use it, but it it's not originally designed to treat this you know COVID nineteen virus. So we kind of have to try a lot of medications, and uh, we collect the result of the blood test, the CT scan features, and the symptom, symptoms, relief. We collect every information. So we share this data that we, uh, to the database that we built nationwide. And the senior doctors, they do the meeting. So they will analyze it, analyze it. So then they will come up with a, um, how do you say, primer conclusion. It's not a final conclusion. Primer, uh, primary conclusion, they will say that this kind of drug is have the trend of infection, uh, you know, have, have some trend of, you know, infection. So okay. we'll keep on do more formal, uh, a more formal uh, clinical trial. So we do the uh, consent, informed consent. We, we do the um, controlled study. So yeah, things works like that. Yeah, this I mean, this must be such valuable information for you guys to go through this. And and I mean, the world, again, you know, a lot of people are focusing on finger pointing right now. And that's I did a video on that recently where I talked about with all this finger pointing, with all this blaming, if people want to blame China, fine. OK, if you want to do that, OK, fine. But let's get to the point here. There's very valuable information that could be pulled uh, from China. And I don't know if you saw I didn't read it myself, but I know that uh, Jack Ma. Uh, Mayun, he did. He released yeah. a report from one of the hospitals, which detailed all of the best practices and all of this stuff. I mean, I really hope people overseas are going to start paying attention to this. Um, but before I leave that topic, actually, I have a question. It comes from actually one of my friends who works in the Hong Kong hospital system, and she asked me to ask you, uh, when you were trying all these different things, was traditional Chinese medicine any part of that? Where was anything tried with traditional Chinese medicine, or it was mostly uh, modern kind of Western medicine? Yeah, uh, traditional Chinese medicine is, uh, I think, is the, the, a big part of it, um, because, as I said, there's no known medicine that is, you know, has clear effect on this brand new uh, coronavirus. So we have to try a lot of medication. The uh, Chinese medicine is a big part. So first thing is that we have a traditional Chinese medicine elite group, nationwide elite group. 
So they are very, very experienced. They are very, you know, well-trained. So they come together, they check all the, um, the patient's uh, uh, clinical uh, symptoms and the blood results. And the... Sorry, I got a uh, phone call cut out. So I, I'll repeat it. I'll repeat what I said. Sure, sure. So uh, we have like the Chinese traditional medicine is a big part of our uh, daily practice uh, for the of our daily observation. Um, we have an elite traditional Chinese drugs team, nationwide team. So they collect the data and they research the uh, symptoms and they come up with a plan. They come up with a recipe, and the recipe is nationwide. is the same nationwide. So we have number one recipe, number two recipe, and number three recipe, and it keeps going. Like now we're having number six recipe. Right. So a different type of recipe is for a special group of clinical symptoms. So you will research. So first, when your when your patient come, uh, you will research his or her uh, clinical uh, uh, symptoms, and then you apply a certain type of re recipe to that person and the drug has already been prepared making to a soup like you know bags you just yeah. give the bag to the patient they would drink it and then you just write you just keep the log mm -hmm. uh, of how the patients recover how he or she react to this okay. recipe put it into okay. the database. Okay. All right. So, um, and, and I'm not going to get into too much details about exactly what you used because I'm not qualified to do that. And there's probably implications about um, um, telling people kind of uh, potentially the wrong thing or the right thing. But what I do uh, uh, want to note on that, uh, which was interesting to, me, so, interesting to me. So it sounds like there wasn't necessarily a one size fits all solution. It really depended on the person, on the circumstances. And in some cases, you had a Western medicine that might work better, sometimes Chinese medicine. It really wasn't a, a one solution for everybody, it sounds like. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, interesting. All right, I, I want to get more towards the um, kind of um, support side of things and how you guys dealt with uh, uh, things on a daily basis, um, which might be relevant for, you know, doctors and nurses who are preparing to fight this overseas or the, the, the hospitals wondering how they can, uh, what they can do to support their staff better. So from a, from a day to day basis, as I understood um, from one of the other interviews, you had your, you had your meals delivered to you uh, every day. So you don't have to go out and try to figure out your meals. They were delivered to you. You, how did that? How did that work? How did that, and did you get to eat three meals a day with how busy you were? <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Actually, we eat like whatever, whatever. Uh, how the uh, how 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 you say? You can eat four meals, six meals, seven meals a day. So whatever you it's need. It's kind to. of buffet. It's kind of buffet. Uh, so it works like this. You have you have a box, a this big a plastic box that's sitting in front of your door. So every day. Before your meal time, the supporting team, okay, supporting team, they will send, they will deliver the box of uh, this bigger box. It contains all the food, you know, rice, noodles, and and breads, and uh, Chinese bread, Chinese buns, or dumplings, or or meat and vegetable, everything in it, and the soup and vegetable uh, and drinks into a and they put a box into a plastic bags. They will put in a the, the box outside of your door. So when you get out from work, you will find the food is already there, and it's a temperature. It's a maintaining. It's a it's it's a, a foam box which can can keep the temperature uh, for oh, a long insulated. time. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, yes, yeah, stuff like that. So uh, you will find your food there, and you have different types of uh, 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 flavor according to your background, according to which province you are from. Because, you know, oh. in China, yeah, northern northern part of China, people like to eat in noodles and, and, and mantel and buns and dumplings, and they don't eat spicy food, so they will prepare uh, in that kind of flavor. And the southern part of the world, in Sichuan or Chongqing, people like to spicy food. They will also prepare spicy food for you. And you just you have to leave a load in the box. So for the next meal you want, so if you want spicy, you will you, you keep a load. You put it in the, uh, the box. So the personal the person come here and they pick up the load. They will know okay next time you want spicy food, they will give you spicy food. Or you can even if you want, if you want to pick some uh, snacks uh, or you want some any beverage, they will give you. Uh, put leaving the box. So yeah, it's that's very so very nice. convenient. Yeah, that's so yeah. nice to and have also, that kind of support. Yeah. 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 Also, they have it, a it's kind of buffet station in the hall. And so in the hall, they have a buffet station. They put all the snacks and all the drinks in there. So after you come back, if you want some fruits, and you go there, just pick up whatever you want. That's it's very I can very detailed uh, service you have. Yeah, that's really great. That's really great to show how much they cared about making sure you were accommodated. Now, was there yeah. anything, um, you know, in terms of the mental health side, I mean, did you have meetings where they tried to encourage you and kind of, you know, or did you sometimes have to rely on your um, uh, colleagues? Did your colleagues sometimes have to rely on you for emotional support? What was the emotional support piece like? Or was everybody just kind of staying strong themselves? Or did you have people to talk to and just... Like, was there anything in that sense, or you just had to kind of? There was no time for that, anyways, and you just had to do what you had to do. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that we do have a um, kind of kind of analyzed, uh, analyzed kind of uh, how do you see the English? A therapist, Strength? a ther therapist. A therapist. A therapist. You have a you have a therapist uh, uh, deployed to every hospital. Actually, a therapist team, a team like a. a you know, a couple of people, like five, six people, uh, doctors, they are therapists. So they will provide all the um, service, all the uh, kind of uh, treatment to doctors or nurses who needs them. Um, and also they will do tour, they will do tour. So every day, different therapists, they will go, okay, so it's like today, uh, this therapist, they will go to the second floor, they do the, all the questionnaire, Ask the doctors and nurses what you, what you, what how do you feel and do you have anything that you can you want to talk to us and they will give you a questionnaire you can you can put down and they have any you know a lot of questions you can you can uh, write it down so yeah. they will do mental analyze on the uh, overall overall team right uh, but strangely that uh, it feels like nobody needed. You know, everybody's just, they're working pretty normal. Because I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I guess we'll feel that Chinese, we don't need that much mental support. Yeah. Kind of, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's good, it's good that they need, put it there I, just in case. Personally, I don't though. need that. And I don't yeah. Want anyone. I mean, you know, we 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 yeah, all, yeah, we, we yeah, obviously uh, yeah we obviously have to be careful with the videos we see online. But there were some videos showing some doctors, you know, kind of breaking down or like yelling or really upset about something. And I think when you really think about it, uh, it we're all human, and I think that is possible. Uh, so even though if you and the people around you really handled it well, I think it's so good that um, you know the hospitals arranged this for you to just make sure. Um, 
you know, and, and, and show you that kind of support. I mean, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, you, you had some really good success rates with recoveries and stuff like that, but you are dealing with, um, you know, obviously, of course, some patients passed away. Um, that's probably difficult to deal with. And um, long hours, I would guess. Have you been, what was like, for example, your longest hours you had to do in, um, in one day? Uh, actually, so our working hours is the same as you work in the Western world. It's like from 8 o'clock to uh, a.m. to 6 p.m. So 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's how you, the, the hour you work. But in the hospital, you 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 work sometime in the red zone. That that's the patient state. That's the patient sector, pa patient section, right? So that's the red zone. And sometimes you work in the green zone. That's where the doctors writing the the, the, the paperwork, doing the computer work, and um, doing the meeting, and doing the analysis, and also the rest and the lunch room. That's the green area, green zone. So uh, for the red zone, uh, I think the maximum time is six hours. Currently, okay. that's what applies to us. We have, because your N95 mask only sustain six hours. So after six hours, the function kind of decrease. You know, you have more risk to get uh, contaminated, you know, through this uh, the, 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 the mask. So that's uh, six hours is the maximum. But normally, um, for the doctors, you you only have to get getting there um, three four hours. Sometimes, if you have to do the bedside uh, bedside some work, it's like uh, uh, endo tracheal intubation or ventilator support, or e sometimes if you want to do the uh, deep venous puncture uh, to do the catheter placement, that takes a long you know a longer time. So probably mm. you need like six hours, something like that. Uh, but normally you, you spend like three hours, four hours in the red zone, then you get out, then you write down, and you do the paperwork, you do the computer work, and you do meeting, and uh, you do the communicating um, between different departments. So you arrange the CT scan, arrange the blood test, the, all the uh, swab, uh, sam 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 sample swab uh, collection. Yeah. And for right. the nurses, it's kind of more difficult because the nurses, they are doing all the labor work. Because they're mm -hmm. gonna take care of everything um, for the patient. Because you you have to put in mind that this, this is a contagious disease, and the patient comes alone. They don't have any any uh, family members with them. So normally, in normal time in China, in hospital, a patient come with at least one or two of the family member to take care of them in hospital. They provide all the meals, drinks, and and you know, and do they you know uh, like. Uh, wash your face and do they you know but this is contagious uh disease nobody no family members in hospital and especially when you're treating the elderly patients who cannot take care of themselves on a daily basis and the, the nurses they they are acting like their family member so they have to do they feed them they, they bathe them they, they wash them and some very elderly patients you have to take care of the you know the bathroom social issues you have to take care of that and everything so the nurses actually working very hard uh i think they they have a four hour shift for them so even four hours i think is too much for them 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that, yeah, that must be really uh, difficult for, for you and for the families because, yeah, I mean, I know very well that the families usually go in and help take care of, uh, you know, my, my brother-in-law, um, he had brain cancer. And uh, when he was in the hospital uh, during that time, we were all there with him, taking care of him and stuff like that. And it was, uh, um, I, I'm not necessarily sure if it was required, but that's what the family wants to do, right? Um, so it must have been yes, a really sir. difficult time. So, you know, when you were talking about these patients coming in and the risk uh, to your, um, um, to your kind of you and your colleagues, I mean, it must have been, it must have been kind, hold kind of. Hold a second. Let me close the window because there's too much noise outside. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I was saying was it, it must have been, um, I mean, like I said, we're all human. It must've been pretty scary though. Right. I mean, for one, when you were called out there and two, when you're working in this environment, um, I, I mean, there, there must've been some, you know, a, a sense of fear, right? I guess when you're so busy that, you know, that takes over, but, uh, I'm guessing you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm very, uh, the first, uh, Two weeks, I would say. The first two weeks is very hard because because um, this is a brand new. Uh, no, actually, it's not brand new. It's a unfinished hospital we are sitting. So when we are come here, we have a unfinished hospital. It's actually a construction field. It's not finished, and it's just an empty building. So we right. spend a week to to put in every equipment, all the you know pipe work, electricity, water and uh, uh, all the bed, patient beds, and all the uh, um, video connection, the surveillance camera, video connection between the red zone and the green zone and the computer and the doctor's living room. So we, we, we so for the night duty doctors to sleep in. So everything we put in together in one week. So, so that week is very busy and especially when you first taking in patient and you you're not sure if your preparation is proper is good enough to prevent the doctors from being uh, infected infect, infected right. and so not worries and but you know after the first week and there's a special team they do the inspection on every department every floors they will check how does your door open so how many buffer room do you have? So we call it buffer room. Before you get into the red zone, you have several buffer room um, to separate your and up before and and also uh, uh, when you get out of the red zone into entering the red zone, the, the green zone, you also have a different buffer room. So the special team they will come and do the inspect, do the analysis. So they will tell you if you have something <clears throat> installed not right. As they will tell you this is not right so you have to do the uh, change change the route or change the how the door opens and and everything right yeah. um after get used to it and everything is um uh, um being correctly uh you know arranged then that was that was the time we feel very relaxed yeah yeah so so yes. if i'm understanding you right not only did you have to be a doctor after this hospital opened even before you were involved in the preparation of actually in, in assembling things there yes yes it's wow. uh because you know what the, the time we were or first arrived here it's a mess it's a chaos and i believe uh remember it was uh i think it was around ten thousand medical personnel came to to this town in one or two weeks, 10,000. 
So they all all coming with the cargo plane, with the, the military transporter plane, huge plane, with the materials. So the, the, the plane comes with the doctors and nurses and, and the materials. And they will give you, they will deploy each team in a different hospital. Some hospital is already there. It's a it's an old hospital that has been evacuated uh, for the old patient. You just get there, everything is there. But some hospital is brand new, or some even uh, it's not finished yet. You have to yeah. deal with it by yourself. And the government they will provide um, the supplies. So the truck, huge trucks coming every day, huge trucks with all the equipments and supplies. And you got people, you know, working. We're working like. I think 14, 16 hours a day to prepare. Oh, th th all those are your long days. Yeah, those are your long days. So, I mean, but, but, it, 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 yeah, the, 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 the hospital was built incredibly fast. So were they were there inevitably some things like after you started operating, after you started getting in there, that there were little things that were, you know, still needed uh, fixing or little things that were like, uh oh, that wasn't, you know, were there little things that came up or more or less once you opened, everything worked perfectly? No, no, of course not perfectly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> first one or two weeks, it's the hardest time because once you get into operating, you realize there are small things, you know, but big things, the important things are right because you have already, we, before we came here, we had training. It's uh, what kind of um, department, what kind of room you need, and what kind of passage you have to design, and what kind of, you know, ventilation for the air coming, which way the air coming, which way the air come out. So that those aspect is fine, but small details. It's like where the doctors eat. So how about the the seals? So how do you seal the uh, the ceilings? Because you don't want air coming in from the red zone through this. Uh, you know, the, 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 through the the how do you say that? And so the, so the vents. Yeah. So constantly you will find small things that is uh, potentially hazardous. So then that's the two weeks. Um, you will constantly find some or something. It's not convenient in hospital, but we have a very efficient, uh, you know, uh, how do you say, backup team or supporting right. team, engineers, and the labor workers. They will come in and help you to build things and to um, to uh, modify things. Yeah. Right. 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 So I mean, I would imagine after this experience, I mean, th there's no no experience like this ever before. I mean, you had you know, um, back in um, you know, during the, uh, I believe it was the uh, H1N1, uh, 2008, 2009, um, I was actually yeah. quarantined. I was coming over on the boat from Hong Kong to Shenzhen, and somebody uh -huh. on our boat, uh, on the boat uh, from the airport to Shukul had uh, a fever, and I think they were from South America. And so we all got quarantined for, for, for two nights when they were checking everything out, checking everybody out. And actually, it was pretty it was a pretty good uh, overall process. The communication process could have probably been a little bit better. But I would imagine each time it gets better and better. And what you guys went through, can you imagine how much more prepared you'll be if hopefully there's not going to be a second wave? But if there is a second wave or if there is a problem in the future, I would imagine China is going to be so much more prepared now with all of this experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess, you know, there potentially there's going to be um, some, um, like, I would say turbulence, not second wave, some kind of turbulence from outside of China, because now right. you see what happened in Europe, what happened in the United States, they are just getting started. So it's going to be people, when people get in from outside of China, uh, constantly, there's going to be a few cases 
but I don't think there's gonna be a big wave, a big second wave, or next season, sec, you know, second big wave in next season or next year. I don't think so because now that the government have a huge lesson, you know, after this, they get all the personnel well trained, fully alarmed, and they get all the population well educated, well yeah. informed from the That's TV. That's the thing too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, awareness from society now, yeah. Yes, and he got all the material supplies prepared. And they got huge warehouse in every city. Yeah, with huge, several huge warehouse to stock all the medical supplies. Yeah, uh, yeah. They call it a strategic yeah. warehouse, yeah. Yeah, that, may, that makes me wonder yeah. because I know um, in, in uh, at one point, um, there was a lot of concern and worry about the supplies in Wuhan, whether the supplies were enough. Did you ever get in a situation where you didn't have enough uh, stuff or you never really got to that point? It was just getting really close. Um, we we almost didn't. Um, but this the first batch. So we came we are the we were the, the second batch. Uh, the first batch came three weeks before we came. So that was the hardest time when they came. They came uh, in only like 1,000 or something. 1,000, 2,000 uh, medical staff came here uh, three weeks before we came. So that was the hardest time because uh, the patient was so much and the personnel is not enough and the equipment supplies is not enough. So people have to doing so, they have to wear or use not enough equipment, but only for, I think, two weeks maximum. That's the time they are very insured. They are very, very lack of uh, all the personal mm. uh, protective equipment. That's only two weeks. But luckily, uh, even during that time, we have very few medical staff infection. Good, good, good. So all the medical staff infection number you heard from the newspaper, that's from even before the first batch uh, medical staff came. That's before that. So that was in January, the, the, uh, the, the second part of December, and the first part of January, January, that one month, and when people are not aware this is an outbreak, that time, that was the most um, medical uh, staff infected time. Yeah. Yes. So, so that, that uh, speaking of this uh, equipment, I, I just want to find out a little bit more about that. So, obviously, you've got these hair nets, you've got the N95 masks. What are the suits like that you're wearing? What are those? Uh, uh, is it multiple layers, or how, how does that work? Uh, we so normally when you get into the red zone, you have to wear three layers for us. Uh, I mean, the doctors and nurses they are saying we 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 wear three layers. The first layer and most inside layer is the scrubs. So that's the sur surgeons wearing. So you see the surgeons uh, in the streets sometimes they wear yeah uh, scrubs. It's like uh, it's only a clothes, right? So that's the most inside uh, layer that wears on top of your own clothes. That's the first. Mm. And the second one is the most important one. That's the one you you, you see the people with, you know, with the, the hood, with the hood covered the head, with the um the shoe cover that was, you know, connected to the suit itself. It's a one piece that contains all sealed, you know, sealed uh, suit. It's like a jump suit. It's like a jump suit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Contains the shoe cover and the hood. And this, the outside layer, the third layer, is a kind of kind of like a, a surging coat, it's like surging coat. Okay. Uh, uh, so that's the uh, three layer, and you wear two masks. The first, most inside is this N95, and outside you will wear a surgical mask. 
surgical mask, and you wear a a goggle, but you know, the goggle is to prevent you know you know the airs get inside the your eye area, and outside the goggle you wear a face shield, that's for the you know to prevent the spew. Sometimes the the patient when they coughing and they or in the vomiting, so you prevent the spew of the um and, and you wear two hats, two hats, and also a outside shoe cover, and three layers of gloves, three layers of gloves. Wow. You know, it's very hard. You know, especially so especially yeah. when you're wearing, yeah. especially yeah, when you are wearing three layers of gloves and you are doing the the uh the deep venous puncture. So you want you, you would your needle when it went through here right to find the deep venous to do the puncture and when you're wearing three layers of gloves you it's very hard to you f for you to feel the venous it's very hard for you to find it so it's normally if you wear one layer of gloves you can find it very easily to find a deep venous and you put your needle in right but yeah, when you wearing three layers of gloves it's very hard so sometimes it takes like half an hour or even or sometimes you know the Normally, you take two minutes or five minutes to find this. But sometimes, uh, in this, sometimes you take 15, 20 minutes. Yes. Wow. And, and so it, mu it must be really hot, too. I mean, you, are you sweating in this? Or? Oh, yeah. You know, what, you know it's, it's good you mentioned that because what we have in China is winter time. Yeah. Start from January to now. It's winter time. It's okay. So even if we are wearing, when we are wearing three layers, of protection suits it's okay so you don't sweat a lot but lately for the past week we were sweating a lot every time when we get out our scrubs are total wet all oh. you know what from the sweat but you know what i'm imagining for the europe in europe and united states what's happening there and this is almost like spring and some places are getting very hot and it's going to be yeah. very big problem for the for the nurses and doctors, especially if they're working for long hours, it's going to be dehydrated because you're sweating yeah. too much. You can't drink and you can't use bathroom. Sometimes people get dehydrated. That's kind of some question that's been concerned, um, that's been concerning me uh, of the situation in, in the West. Right. Yeah, that, that's a good point that I didn't think of. And I, it, 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 does it take a really, I would imagine it takes a long time to get all of this stuff on also, right? uh about so if you're fast enough it's take uh, 20 minutes or half an hour to get well dressed and and checked so normally two person go go in you don't you don't go in one person you will normally two person go in and two person go out so that that way you can check each other uh equipment check your uh suit if it's you know if there are any uh uh any anything wrong with the if it if you are wearing property they would check so you will check each other so, and when you're getting out, I mean, getting is very easy. You just get dressed, three layers of protection. Getting out is very hard because you don't want anything get contaminated. You don't want to bring, bring anything from the red zone to the green zone because that's going to hurt the whole you know, office, the whole department. So right. when you're getting out from room, you get through three buffer room and you're using so many sanitizer and so many spray and so very complicated steps very complicated pr procedure so you do which procedure in which time it's strictly according to the procedure so if you mess with one or two steps you will most probably bring some of the 
contaminated stuff into the green zone, then it's a very hazardous um, situation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. And and excuse me if this is a personal question, but I'm just thinking through the process, what it's like if you have to, you know, 20 minutes to get it off, 20 minutes to get it on. What about like uh, bathroom breaks? Like how do you, I mean, that must be really, well, you just have to. Uh, at the very beginning, uh, the government, uh, they're giving us diapers. So so we're, oh, really? uh, some yeah. people are wearing diapers. Uh, but, you know, especially um uh when when uh, when the second batch arrives we have enough personnel so our working shift in the red zone okay is you can not enough. So four hours so for the young people four hours is gonna, not going to be a problem so we stopped right. using the diaper we stopped at the very beginning we are worried about this situation so everybody's wearing diapers but lately but after that people are you know get used to get used to it so they are not wearing diapers yeah okay all right yeah that must have been quite a situation now uh, i i noticed when you guys are wearing the goggles um it's really uh kind of leaving marks and there's some people where you can even see kind of the skin completely worn off um yes. are there any you know so i would imagine this is a problem that people are going to face in in other countries is, is there anything any cream you're using or you just kind of get used to it your your skin toughens up like how do you handle that do you have any advice uh for anybody who's yeah. about to go through this I, I do have I do have uh, uh, some advice. So, personally, for this press pressure you have from the goggles, right, and the pressure you have from the N95 masks. So here, especially the, the very vulnerable um, places here, because you you have a you have a N95, and the N95 masks here is very tough, very uh, uh, hard, right? To press it very hard, and plus on top of it, you will press the goggle. Mm -hmm. to seal this area right, right you don't want air comes in when you're sitting it you will press it very hard right so that may be hurting your skin especially when you're working like long hours where we're for one mouse two months and what do you do what we do is that we put a bandage underneath this here we put a bandage in advance yeah right and try not to use this metal so you see here this is a metal right this right. is a metal there's so many different types of n95 uh masks some they are gradually they are changing they're modifying the product so now we're not using this metal thing we're using this plastic we have a plastic and sponges we have a sponges underneath this so that kind of reduces the pressure okay and, and when you're when you're pressing the goggles and some goggles they are their uh, edge are very sharp and mm. when you too sharp you can put some the bandages around them so okay. that's gonna reduce the pressure also oh, that's and another tip, another tips that is that when you're breathing so your 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 breath come out and when you make a lot of fog you know blur yeah. your goggle and also blur the face shield when you're so what do you do is that we use some kind of uh uh, uh sanitizer or they 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 wash lotion the, the, the hand wash lotion we use some notion and we use a cotton swab to spray the notion on the goggles the inside inside one the inside the inside uh, uh, uh goggles spray it very evenly and you, you use a hair dry hair blower uh hair dryer use oh, a wow, hair dryer okay. to blow it and to dry it up and after that you wear it it won't blur you know, no matter how much you breathe into the goggles, it doesn't blur. So, so that oh, way wow, you'll be yeah. fine. 
So yeah, I remember uh, uh, there, there's certain anti-fog things you can put on like your windows in your car or your or your your side view mirror. So it must be something like that effect where it stops it from fogging up, right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We are getting we're getting that kind of stuff spray in, but you know what? Sometimes the spray doesn't even work. It doesn't even as good as the the old way we use. The way we use is better than the spray. So sometimes <laughs> we don't use the, spray, we use the, oh, the traditional one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are valuable things to to for people to hear about. Yeah. So um, I want to I want to back it up uh, uh, just a, a little bit here for a second in terms of kind of support, because, I mean, what you guys are doing, uh, it, it, it's such a tough job. Well, well first of all, actually, I want to say uh, you keep you mentioned a couple of times how the first couple of weeks were tough. And I would imagine for anybody who's about to see a lot of patients soon, it's going to be tough for them. And um, you, 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 you what happens after two weeks? It's just you kind of get used to it. You get in the momentum, you get desensitized to it and you just kind of get in the zone. Like, how do you. Uh, is it a matter of just getting used to it? Um, how do you become um, not worried anymore, not scared anymore, not uh, 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 as like the first couple of weeks? You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand what what you mean. Uh, I think you know uh, after during the first two weeks or even a short time after that, the most help we get mentally to uh, to calm us down is the information you get from the t news you know, from the news. Because the government, you know, the, 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 the news channel or the TV, they put the numbers, the newly diagnosed, confirmed cases, and the recovered cases, and all the new symptoms, and all the new discoveries, and all the uh, new drug discoveries, and the process, and the vaccine process. They will put every information in the TV channel, in the newspaper, and they will. And they will also they will give you details that how the government is handling it, how the government is connecting resources and moving resources and and and, and uh, doing which procedure to provide more efficiency at the supplies and everything. So you are watch this. It kind of a, it's a distraction. It's a okay. distraction, right? It's distraction from worrying too much. And also when you are reading all this, you kind of you know the government is taking care of you. So you get a more trust. You get more. So you you, you know somebody is behind you to um, to give you uh, to support you, and so kind of that relaxed me very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine that would, and that makes me think. I really hope that when these other countries who are starting to fight this, they can put the politics aside for a moment, so that their doctors can uh, see yeah. the same thing. No, we don't have politics in, in a TV channel. So what? Yeah, is, what, what that's so <laughs> that's the benefit really here. Thinking. Yeah, but but overseas, this is what they're faced with. They're they're faced with um, uh, people looking for people to blame or to, um, you know, it's about uh, political parties fighting with each other and things like that. And I would imagine um, it creates an additional element that makes it a little bit more difficult for them. So I wonder if as ordinary people, as ordinary citizens, um, if they can make up for that. And the, and, and the reason I ask that is uh, what I want to ask you now is when you saw how much the people of China um, the ordinary citizens were cheering you on and were celebrating you and were saying Jayo and all of this stuff. Did that help you also? Oh, big time. That helps big to big time. That very, it's very relaxing to watching this. And, uh, you know, uh, I think the Chinese, they, they, they don't, they, we are not suspicious about, you know, we're not too uh, skeptical about things. Mm, you see, the 
people around you. So we're living, so we're some of the medical team lives in a hotel, like some live in a fancy hotel, some live in the, the regular hotel, and some live in, in some training center or school. So we're living in a training, training center, which provides also a, a hotel-like lo uh, lodging uh, for us. So when you're staying here, the training center, they provide all the personnel to take care of us, you know, provide the food, right? And then they, or they, they, they sometimes the cleaning. So people around us, they will constantly thank us, constantly appreciate the, the work we are doing. They will express their appreciation and they will talk to us and they will also express uh, kind of what is the, the, the situation back in their home. So what's it like in their home? How many of their relatives are getting infected? What kind of problem they are facing? So we're kind of exchanging a lot of information, exchanging a lot of uh, appreciation to each other. Uh, yeah. That really slows us down, you know, and, and he, every day the news is full of all kinds of appreciation from the country, from the government, from people in all parts of China. And that is really helping because you know, the work you're doing are appreciated and and you know people are thanking you and they are really care about you and they're providing all the needs you all your needs so that's kind of very relaxing and, and it calms me down yeah that's really good to hear and i think i think that's really important for everybody else to hear um because if if if, if it's the politicians that can't put politics aside and they're going to do this um it's good to know that the people can pick up you know where where they're falling short and the people of these countries can show their support uh, to the doctors. And I hope people hear that um, and do that um, because I, I would, uh, you know, obviously I'm very appreciative of your work and um, to know that um, it, it, it helps you guys just feels good. And I'm, I'm glad that everybody rallied behind you. You know, um, I know you've got an early shift at 6 a.m. There's so many other questions I would have loved to ask you, but I well, think that's don't a... Worry about the don't yeah. worry about the shift. You can take the, yeah. as much time you want. Okay. Yeah, no, that's okay. What I'll probably do is um, I'll, I'll, I'll think of some of the other questions and maybe we can have a follow up or if you have any other, um, you know, ideas or tips or I don't know if you have anything else right now that you could offer some words to uh, medical staff overseas, anything from a, uh, a technical point of view, emotional point of view, any words of support for them, if you have anything to say to the, the doctors overseas who are about to, to face this. Uh, not as much as a tip or, or any advice, but uh it's kind of a personal experience. Um, I can share some of my personal experience that I, that I have. Uh, but the situation in the West is now different because they're facing a different season, right? So what we're, uh, we experienced is winter time and now they're getting hotter, right, in the West. So uh, I think my personal experience that first you have to, you know, don't panic. That's the first thing, don't panic. Get, you know, it doesn't help anything. And uh, second, uh, try to save energy. Try to save, save energy. Save, so save, when save you're especially, yeah, save energy. Especially when you're working in the red zone, and don't panic and save your energy when you're talking. Talk slowly, and walk slowly, and uh, try to communicate with a calm pace. Right. So because in the first phase when you're working in the red zone. You try to work, you know, when you're walking, when you are doing procedures, when you are connecting samples, when you're doing the uh, the bedside endo uh, tracheal 
uh, intubation, you know, for the uh, ventilator, uh, the, the, for the for ventilator support, right? Or, or do they deep venous puncture? That takes a lot of energy. Once you finish that procedure, sometimes you get dehydrated or sometimes people panic and it will use up your energy. And that very really harm, harm you because after the first two, three times you work in such condition, in such kind of, uh, how, do you, uh, how do you say, such kind of mental condition, then it, it gives you a shadow. So you have a shadow in your, in your heart. It gives you kind of, uh, you have a fear. All right. So if you if if you have a kind of uh, it scares you away. I mean, if you have a, a tough first, second, or first uh, two or three uh, round, then for the for the future, in the next uh, several days, you don't feel good. You don't feel confident. So it it, right. it it ruins the confidence, right? And the third third part is that you know, uh, try to collect. Try to collect enough supplies as possible, as you know, as you know, as much uh, supplies as possible. Because you know, uh, it's critical for you to stay, you know, safe to to uh, not infected. That you have enough supplies, and especially in the West country, I don't think they have. In most part of the country, uh, they have currently they have enough. But in if in the long run, they probably don't have enough supplies. So that's the key point. If you don't have enough supplies, no matter how well you're trained, no matter how calm you are, you are still gonna be facing serious serious problem. That's you know that's my personal experience. Yeah, yeah, and 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 onto uh, your your middle point there, where you were talking about staying calm. I would imagine that you you're dealing with some patients who are panicking also, right? Who have this and are who are scared. And, Big time. And, 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 yeah. Also, I, I I gotta point out that this um, testing thing, you know, this uh, testing kit that everybody's using. Um, my personal experience that uh, it doesn't work, one hundred percent precise. So for some patient, their testing find like, like two times, three times negative, but that doesn't mean they're not you know COVID nineteen patient, and their CT scan features perfectly right into the category of COVID-19. So they're very uh, characteristic, their, their CT scan, very characteristic, but their testing is two times, three times, sometimes even five times negative. But you know, you know what, sometimes in a sixth time, it's positive, or sometimes even eighth, eighth time is positive. So this um, nuclear acid test it probably doesn't work a hundred percent precise. That's why mm. you have to, in your department, you have to separate those suspicious cases and those confirmed cases. You have to separate them, and by separating them, you don't because those patients who are confirmed by the nucleic acid test, they, they know they are confirmed. But those people who are diagnosed with the CT scan feature, they will probably worry that. Okay, I'm not test positive. Why you put me mixed with uh, you know these uh, test po positive patients in the same floor, same uh, department? So that kind of you need a lot of precautions to um, a lot of uh, patience to you know discuss it and yeah, separate yeah, them. Yeah. 
Well, that, that sounds, um, uh, there's a couple things that come to mind. That sounds exactly like what my um, sister-in-law was saying, who's uh, working in one of the provinces. Um, she says that a lot, she thinks a lot of the suspected cases are actual cases, but it seems like you yeah. guys were very careful about this, where you knew the limitations of this test on this new virus. And so you, it sounds like you were doing, like you said, eight tests, nine tests to make sure, to just make sure that these guys didn't fall through the cracks. Yeah, sometimes we do it some even even a, a dozen times of the uh, nuclear acid test. So so we, we uh, what we do is that if a person came in with a test negative but a very very uh, characteristic uh, CT scan feature, so we'll put them in a different section in a department. So we'll observe them, and we'll keep trying, keep testing them, keep do the uh, nuclear acid testing. The, 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 you know. Uh, doing their uh, nasal pharyngeal swab, right? We'll send them every every um, 48 hours. So we're gonna send the sample every 40 hours. Sometimes even 12 times, 14 times. But normally, so if, uh, if uh, seven, eight times passed, the, the person's condition is recovering, the CT scan, the feature is getting better and better. So we're gonna discharge them after 14 days without any symptoms and uh, the CT scan two three times of recovering recovering all the lesions on the lungs so we're going to discharge them right and the right, comfort right. you know in, in the other section that's a total that's another story yeah yeah i, I want to ask one question about that because i've seen some reports um from hong kong where they were saying that even after people have recovered they still see kind of um, the damage that was done by it, whether it's permanent or not, I'm not sure, in the lungs, and some people still have a shortness of breath. Even after people are recovered, are there some you know, uh, uh, parts of their system that still need some time to recover after that, or they're, they're going to have some uh, longer-term effects, or you're not really seeing that at this point, and it's, it's just too early to say? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think based on the experience from the SARS that's happened 17 years ago, uh, Actually, only very few cases they will develop a uh, sclerosis. You know, sclerosis oh, yeah, uh, yeah. your lung, your lungs. It's like the scars, the tiny scars in your lungs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but very rare cases, and even if you have that, it's gonna recover slowly. It's gonna recover slowly, but the, the case is extremely is rare. Um, yeah, for the for the most cases, uh, especially for the young people. It doesn't leave anything. It doesn't leave any, anything. Okay. That's yeah. Good. That's good. Well, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. You know, we've spent an hour on this call. I really, really appreciate your time. And I just want to say again, thank you for everything you guys do. You know, it, there's just, no. It, there's no, there's no word to describe it. You know, there's just this deep, um, um, a sense of thanks that I want to express to you. You know, the, 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 I've, I've had a feeling like this before, you know, um, during, it's a completely different situation. It wasn't a medical incident, but, uh, uh, you know, um, during 9-11 um, in, in North America, in USA, you know, after that happened, the, 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 the firefighters um, and the police and the um, construction workers and the volunteers who were going to clean up and with the rescue efforts, um, it, putting themselves at risk, breathing in that toxic dust. I had the same kind of feeling, just thanking them for putting themselves out there to, uh, you know, for, 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 for the sake of other people. And it, again, there's not a word I can, uh, I can use to describe it, but I just thank you so much. And, and, uh, uh, please express it to your colleagues also. I mean, especially, you know, I know you're, um, you're a guy who, you know, y y sees the internet outside, you follow my YouTube channel 
and um, <laughs> uh, uh, and I can imagine um, how sometimes you know with so much support in China, when you look outside and you see the the storm of accusations and back and forth, that it can be a little bit depressing sometimes. But I want you to know that. Uh, the ordinary person, the ordinary foreigner, the ordinary person overseas, uh, they appreciate what you do too. No matter what their political stances are, no matter how they feel about the governments, you guys are doctors. There are doctors overseas who are going to be facing the same thing, and you deserve all of the thanks that you get from everybody. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, thank you very much for having me. And then, you know, it's a, always a, it's a nice thing to do to express to tell the foreigners or to tell the other the rest of the thank world you. that what we actually are doing this so it's kind of you know thank you for providing this uh, opportunity yeah my pleasure it's yeah d definitely honest so yeah thank you so much okay so we'll wrap it up there thank you so much and uh, we'll connect again soon okay thank you take care see you next time see you